I invite you to remain standing as today we read from the book of Galatians, the third chapter, beginning with verse 23. Let us hear these holy words. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you here in the sanctuary, as well as those who are streaming and watching on television. We're grateful, however you choose to be with us, that indeed you are with us today. We say a word of thanks to loving fathers and father figures on this Father's Day. So this is the day for fathers. This is where wives and mothers take a step back and do all the work while father takes it easy. <laughs> in other words, a pretty typical day in most households, I would imagine. So um, we do say a word of thanks for loving fathers and for the work and for the father figures that do so much good for so many others. We want to say a word of greeting this morning to those in Atkins, Arkansas, in Jonesboro, in delight as well as those who are watching on television in our respective hospitals across the state. I hope you'll take a moment to look at the back of your order of worship. You will notice that next Sunday after this service of worship in the gathering hall, we will have a special celebration for Booker Rogers, who is retiring after 44 years of service to Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. To put that in perspective, when Booker started here, I was in junior high. That's how long ago that was. He is deserving of this, and it is our chance in a very special way to honor him. So I hope you'll make a special effort next Sunday if you are in town to be here so that we can celebrate the great work Booker has done for so long for so many of us. We also want to remind you that Vacation Bible School is quickly approaching. There's still plenty of opportunity to register for this. In fact, we hope if you have not done so that you will go ahead and register for VBS. It is an important week in the life of the church, and we want this to be a very special time. There's been a lot of work and a lot of effort put into all of this, so please go ahead and do not delay. Please go ahead and register for VBS. Again, we say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We are grateful that we can worship together. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day. And work your will in our lives. Amen. When I was in high school, I had a very special friend. He was a good friend of mine, but he was incredibly awkward. He was overweight. He suffered terribly from acne. He was one of these people who dressed disheveled all the time. He wanted so desperately to fit in that oftentimes he would say the most inappropriate of things. He was made fun of continually at school. He was laughed at. 
He was bullied. He really had a tough time in his teen years. But he was a friend of mine. And the reason that he was a friend of mine had nothing to do with school because we didn't even attend the same high school. It had everything to do with the church. Because my friend who was so awkward, who said the most unappealing of things sometimes trying to fit in and to be cool, who suffered so terribly bad from acne, who was made fun of over and over again, was president of our youth group. He was the one who had a place in the church as much as he was made fun of at school and laughed at. He was president of the youth group at church. That's where he fit in. That's where he was somebody. That's where people didn't care if he had acne or dressed in such a disheveled sort of a way. And it was amazing to me that when he fit in at the church, he didn't say those most inappropriate of things trying to fit in because he already did. I have always appreciated the church over the years and how often those who sometimes have such a difficult path out in the world find their place in the church. They are somebody in the church when the world repeatedly tells them they are nobody. A long time ago, Paul writes to the church at Galatia. Paul has to deal with people who are coming from every direction former pagans and former Jews, or people who are still Jews, who now believe that one of their very own is indeed the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. People with all kinds of backgrounds who are gathering together to worship. What Paul has to do is find a way to unite these people so that they understand that they are no longer divided by those things in the world that oftentimes compartmentalize us or label us or categorize us. Not in the church, says Paul. So Paul says, we are no longer Jew or Gentile. We are no longer slave or free. We are no longer male or female. We are one in Christ Jesus. Now, you all, that is important today, as maybe more than any other time, even when Paul said it, because we've come to a place in the life of the church for a variety of reasons across Christendom where we as Christians have found ourselves in a position where we act oftentimes like the world acts. We now label people and we compartmentalize people and we categorize people. And if for whatever reason they are not in complete agreement with me, then I have every right to vilify them however I choose, online, on television, in person, whatever it may be. And I think one of the things that we as the Church of Jesus Christ have to do is go back and look at the very beginning of the church and say, how did the church survive when you had so many different people from coming from so many different directions, so many different backgrounds? They were dependent on a handful of people to tell them who they had to be. In this instance, it is the Apostle Paul called by Jesus Christ himself who says to them, we are no longer going to categorize you, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Now think about that. Out in the world, you are enslaved, but in the church, you're free. Can you imagine the problems created as a result? 
Can you imagine the issues that have to be dealt with in a culture where women are to keep silent and in the church? They remind themselves, wait a minute, Paul, you said we're no longer male or female, but we're one in Christ Jesus. Now you got to deal with women who want a voice. You got all these issues that out in the culture are clearly defined, but in the church, they're still trying to figure that out. Now, 2,000 years later, we're still trying to figure it out. Because oftentimes what happens is because we all live in the world, we get caught up in categorizing and labeling and stereotyping and all those kinds of things. I'm as guilty as anybody else. But what we have to do is remind ourselves in the church that we are no longer divided by those things because Paul says we're one in Christ Jesus. So fundamentally, that means that our responsibility is to find those qualities and characteristics in every human being that are just like mine. What draws us together? What makes us one in Christ Jesus? Well, if we really think about it, fundamentally, we are pretty much all the same. Now, the world says we're different. We have different skin color, different levels of education, different levels of income, different sexual orientations. We live in different neighborhoods. We have different occupations, different interests and hobbies and all those kinds of things. And sometimes those things define us. But when we gather together in the church, even with our different political points of view, we ought to be able, ideally, to sit down next to each other. You know why? Because we all believe in the same Jesus. He hasn't changed. So if we can find a way in the life of the church to sit down together and worship together, learn together, fellowship together, we have accomplished something extraordinary. That means we are no longer divided, and that's what Paul wanted. There are so many similarities between all of us. Every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being wants to love and be loved. Every human being wants to fit in and be somebody and have a sense of purpose and being in life. And every human being needs to be forgiven and is dependent on the grace of God. Every single one of us fit into those categories. In so many ways, we are really all alike. So in the church, we are to be the ones who send the message to the world. You can be socially awkward and you can have acne and you have a place in the church. You can be president in the church. Eugene Peterson, who wrote what we know to be the message, that version of the Bible in contemporary language, Eugene Peterson said, the church is comprised of both mystery and mess. It always has been. There's something mysterious that takes place when we gather together that is extraordinary in the midst of all the mess that we continue to make, even in the life of the church. So really, we need to find a way to clean up the mess. And I think one of the things that we have to do in the church universal, and I'm not talking about just the United Methodist Church or Pulaski Heights UMC, I'm talking about the church universal, is that we have to remind ourselves that we have the greatest message on planet Earth, the most unifying message on planet Earth, the most critical message that anybody could ever claim for herself or himself, I believe. And yet we have allowed pettiness in the church, we have allowed the culture to step in and dictate how it is we talk to each other, how it is we define one another to such a degree that we have lost our place. We're losing our grip on the world as the church. 
as an institution that defines how we live. And we know how we live. We live like Jesus lived, ideally. But the level of hypocrisy, which all of us can fall prey to, and the level of meanness and spitefulness and all those kinds of things that are now a part of the culture in which we live, we as a people who follow Jesus Christ have to remind ourselves that those outside the church are watching. Why do so many people turn away from the church because of the staggering level of hypocrisy of people who worship on Sunday morning and then are so mean during the week? We are supposed to be a people who say to everybody in the world, you're somebody, you have a place. I don't always agree with you. I don't even always like you. But we love the same Lord, which means we have every right to be together and to work through those things that are different about who we are, recognizing that there is more that connects us than there is that divides us. What is important for us to remember is that if you look in Scripture, Jesus became most angry with hypocrites. In the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You neglect the most important matters. Even though you tithe, you neglect the most important matters like justice and mercy and righteousness. He says, you strain a gnat and swallow a camel. He's making a point. What we have to remember, of course, is that our responsibility is to do our darndest to live like Jesus every single day in every situation. And we are going to fail, and we're going to have to be dependent on God's grace to pick us up and try again, and we're going to have to ask to be forgiven. But it is the effort that makes such a fundamental difference. What Paul had to deal with is, being, is something that is very clear. All these different people, and Paul says, wait a minute, I know out in the world they're defining you in all these different ways, slave, free, male, female, Jew, Gentile. But when we gather together, we are one in Christ. What can we do as the church of Jesus Christ to take that message out into the world and say we are one humanity, all created in the image of God? We all bleed, we all cry, we all laugh, we are all the same fundamentally. So why do we spend so much time looking at the differences in all of us when most of what we are about is just like everyone else? Jesus hung out with the lowliest of people and very influential people as well. His ministry was all about everybody. This one who was born in a manger and the lowly manger also had the wise men with their expensive gifts bow down before him. He is an all-encompassing savior for the world to know and it is on us to live in such a way that people long to know what is it about us that is so different? What is it about us that is so compelling? What is it about us that they are drawn to and we believe it is the power of the resurrected Christ living in and through us in such a way that we make a great difference in the world and if the world needs to be different at any point in its history it's right now so we try
We don't always get it right, but in the church, instead of looking at the things that people want to make fun of in somebody else who comes in, or the awkward person, or the gay person, or the straight person, or the tall person, or short person, or whatever it may be, let's look at the fact that they are a human being like the rest of us. I remember reading a story that during the civil rights movement, a little girl went home and said, Mommy, today I sat next to a Negro in school. And her mommy said, Really? How was it? She said, Well, Mommy, both of us were so scared that we held hands all day together. Now, I love that. You know what we need to do as a church? We need to start holding hands. Not only with each other, but we need to be holding hands with the world. Because when you have two little girls in a civil rights movement era where you are clearly defined and you are compartmentalized to find a way to say, that doesn't matter. We're two little girls who are scared and we're going to cling to each other. We ought to be a people who in a lot of ways are scared in the world in which we live today. But we have the answer to rid us of all that causes us fear and angst and uncertainty, but you got to reach out and you got to hold somebody's hand. Paul says, we are one in Christ Jesus. One. That means there's no difference. And really, fundamentally, if you think about it, the one whom we bow down before and worship ought to be the greatest power in our life that causes us to see the world differently so that we're not spending an inordinate amount of time on things that we can call out in someone else that is different and upsetting to us. So we're going to lash out or we're going to strike back, but instead we find a way to find what it is that we have in common and who it is that we have in common. And in the life of the church, if nothing else, the one whom we bow down before is the one we have in common. Hear me, it is the same Jesus. The church has wrestled with this since its inception, since its birth. We have all these different denominations because we can't get along. We have the Roman Catholic Church. We have the Greek Orthodox Church. We have the Protestant Church. We have all kinds of non-denominational churches. There are all kinds of differences in the church, different kinds of theologies, different kinds of ways of living out the faith. I get all of that. But it's still the same Jesus, however it is we worship. Paul says we are one in Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus ought to be the one who is such a powerful presence in our life that we live in such a way that we emulate his life as best we can. And if we really do that, then the church can reinvigorate itself, be re-energized, and once again, take hold of the world and say, we have the answer, we have the hope. We have the opportunity to be unified as a people worldwide. A number of years ago, I heard a United Methodist bishop whose area was over Chicago, Illinois. She was preaching and she said that a couple of years earlier, and this was several years ago, a couple of years earlier, the mayor of Chicago asked churches on the Friday before Memorial Day to come out into their respective neighborhoods and play games with the neighbors and have cookouts 
and community-wide events. The church needed to step outside its doors and be a part of the community. And she said on that particular Friday in Chicago, Illinois, the Friday before Memorial Day when they were used to all kinds of shootings, there was not one shooting in the entire city of Chicago on that Friday. You know why? Because the church went out and said, look, we're all in this together. We're all the same. We're really no different. All of a sudden, people put down their guns. All of a sudden, people started interacting with each other. And at least for a period of time, as short as it was, nevertheless, nobody was killed. If we did that exponentially, if we did that for the world, if we did it in our own homes, if we did it in the life of the church, if we did it in our place of employment, what difference could we make? Maybe we need to reach out and hold each other's hand. Paul says we are no longer divided. The world can tell you you're different, but when you come to be with us as the body of Christ, we're all the same. I am a sinner, and so are you. I'm in need of forgiveness, and so are you. I am dependent on the grace of God, and so are you. Every single one of us are reliant on the God we know in and through Jesus Christ to be our source of hope and strength. It is on us and up to us to do something with it, to take seriously what the early church did. And the early church would eventually thrive as a result of all kinds of different people getting together and making themselves one in Jesus Christ. We wouldn't be here today had it not been for those people setting aside some of their differences. And they continued to have differences, of course. We know that. But the fundamental truth is they recognized that out in the world, the world can tell you you're somebody different. But in here, we're really all the same. No longer divided. I read a biography of... I'm almost ashamed to say it now. I read a biography of Robert E. Lee probably 20, 25 years ago. He was a fascinating man in a lot of ways, a very intelligent man. He was on the wrong side of history. But Robert E. Lee, shortly after the Civil War, had a big piece of property in Arlington, Virginia. That piece of property now is Arlington Cemetery, as it should be, a sacred ground. But Robert E. Lee went to church one Sunday, and as was customary in the church after the Civil War, the black folk had to sit in the balcony for worship. And when they received communion, the white folk came down, and if there were any elements left over, if there were any elements left over, then the black folk could come down. Most of them former slaves, they could then come down and participate in communion. Everybody knew the rules. It was customary. But on this particular Sunday, when the white folk came down, a former slave stepped out of the balcony and came down and knelt at the communion rail. As you can imagine, people were aghast by this. He doesn't know his place. He doesn't know where he belongs. And so all the good Christian white folk get up and leave. But there is one person that comes down who kneels next to this former slave and they take communion together. Guess who it was? 
Robert E. Lee. Now, let me tell you about that. I don't know where you stand on all that kind of stuff. You got to work through that. But he was on the wrong side of history, I'm telling you. But what he was doing in his own way was saying to somebody, we are no longer divided. We had a war, but that war is over. And we have a common savior, and that's what's most important. Now, we have got to figure out, in the world in which we live today, how we can be who we are called to be more effectively and more efficiently and certainly more faithfully. Man, I cannot imagine what Paul had to deal with in the early church. Lots and lots of stuff. But enough people took him seriously, and enough people took their faith seriously, that the church became a fledgling institution. And it still exists to this day because enough people have taken seriously the understanding that I know you can be a goofy teenager and be made fun of, but you come into this place and you're president of the youth group. I know out in there, somebody will compartmentalize you or categorize you in a certain way as one of these kind, but you come in here, we're all the same kind. That's what it means to be the church. That's who we are, and we are going to work and work and work at it. We all fail, but every one of us have got to do better. I speak for myself as much as I speak for anyone else. We have got to do better. We have got to be better and we're gonna work at it because we are the church of Jesus Christ and we are no longer divided. Hallelujah. Amen.